the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul says it another way in Romans 7. He says this, I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Tonight as we begin, I want a thing that you keep doing that you do not want to do. For some of us in this room this evening, it may be lying or gossiping about things going on in the office. For some of us, it may be that thing that we do late at night when we think no one is watching us. Maybe we're up late looking at pornography. Maybe we're sitting in our house and we're just thinking, you know, if I could just have one more drink, I'll be okay. Some of us are beginning to innocently send messages to old girlfriends and boyfriends on Facebook thinking nothing is going to happen. For some of us, it may be an addiction. For some of us, it may be a short temper, a fuse, little bursts of rage and a word out to someone, maybe a child or a spouse. And we're sitting here realizing that our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. What I love about how Paul says that he talks about the evil we continue to do. So my question to you is this, is what is it that you want to be doing, but for some reason aren't? Maybe you're in the room tonight and you've been trying to read your Bible every day consistently, but for some reason you find yourself unable to do so. Maybe you've made the decision that I want to begin to pray consistently or I want to join a small group, but every time you try, it just seems that you miss the moment. So often, many of us do this around January 1st when we declare that we'll begin to work out every day and we go to the gym and we're ready for it. And then we wake up and our body is so sore that we quit instantly because working out is tough and difficult. I know for me, the greatest challenge between my spirit and my flesh is the devil that hides inside my alarm clock. And each and every day it goes off and each and every day I battle that temptation of do I turn it off and sleep just a little bit more or will I actually arise and say, no, today's the day that I'll do this thing. See, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The good that I want to do, sometimes we cannot. Heavenly Father, tonight we come into this room, Lord, and I pray and ask for a revelation about the spirit and the flesh, God. Lord, I pray and ask that tonight there will be hope and encouragement for those of us who want to try faith beginning this journey, Father. Lord, I pray that those of us in this room who seem to find ourselves failing find hope, God. That we find the courage to keep on going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I say it again, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Tonight, I want you guys to realize that the spirit inside of you is always willing. The spirit that is inside of you is always searching out God's heart. The spirit that inside of you is always longing for more intimacy, for more revelation, for a deeper yearning and revelation of who God is. Our spirit is longing to be obedient to the things of God. It is in our nature, we are designed to pursue him. We are designed to know him. So whatever the little lie is inside of you, you have to know the truth is that God has created you to pursue him. That God has put a spirit in you to know him. But the flesh is always gonna be weak. The flesh is always gonna battle the spirit. The flesh wants to make it difficult. The flesh is always gonna challenge us and put stumbling blocks in front of us. 
This battle is consistent. This battle is ever-changing. This battle inside of us is trying to steal this intimacy and our obedience. The flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. The first tweet that I have for you guys to this is that weakness in the flesh is not always a sinful act. Oftentimes it is a sin of inaction. So often when we think of this verse, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, we instantly think of some horrible thing. We instantly think of some horrible act that we've done, but when we look at what this is, it's really the sin of inaction. It's God saying, no, I want to pray, Lord, but for some reason we don't. Lord, I want to show kindness to my neighbor, but for some reason we stop. I think the the greatest thing that we struggle with is this sin of inaction. Our flesh just gets us to do nothing. And tonight as we look at this, I pray and ask that God will begin to stir in you and challenge you to figure out what this is for you and your life. For me, this this past weekend it happened when my in-laws came into town. I love my in-laws. My in-laws are amazing. But whenever they come into town, they bring two little kids with them. And so my house of three turns into a house of six And for some reason in my mind, I always think to myself, maybe they'll take everyone and I can have a nap. Maybe, maybe my wife and Ella and the two kids, they'll all go hang out together and I can just look at them and say, I've got to do some stuff around the house and I can just find my happy place. And for me this week, this was the battle. I never get to see my in-laws. It's pretty rare that they come down. I never get to go walk around downtown with my wife and my child. And I had this moment. Do I want to submit to my flesh? Do I want to allow myself to rest? Or will I do the thing in my heart that I know that I want to do? Will I say, even though that I'm tired, I'm going to willingly go and hang out, look at the same antiques and eat the same fickle pickles and do the things that we do in Bernie? And the truth is, I'm glad I went. The truth is, is, is I, I made the decision because I knew I was preaching on this thing. I had read it and got to challenge me and I decided, no, even though I'm tired, I'm still going to go hang out. See, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak, but I chose to be obedient to my spirit. So as we look at this verse tonight, as we look at this idea, we have to set up what is going on in the story. What is leading to this point where Jesus makes this amazing statement? And when we begin to study it and look at it, we realize that the woman had just broken the alabaster jar upon Jesus. She began to anoint him for what was to come. Judas was beginning to plan the preparation of betraying Jesus. He just traded him in for 30 pieces of silver. Now here's Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, washing their feet, teaching them about serving talking to them about communion and the breaking of the bread and taking of the blood and begin to prepare them for what is about to happen. It's about the betrayal and he leans over to Jesus and says, I know all these other people will leave you, but I will never deny you. I will never do this, Jesus. No matter what they do, I am always gonna be here. And then Jesus and his disciples, they go to the garden, they go out and they begin to pray. It's late at night. Jesus knows what's coming right around the corner. And here he is this moment before he goes to the cross. He looks at his disciples and he says this thing. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. Think about this. Here's Jesus. He's, he's hanging out with his disciples. And his words as his soul is overwhelmed to the point of sorrow that there's death upon his mind. See, Jesus knew for the first time in history, for the only moment that I know of, Jesus is about to pray a prayer and God is not going to answer it. For the first time ever, Jesus is on his knees knowing the, the physical pain that he's going to go through, knowing the separation from the Father that's going to come. And he's standing here with his disciples saying, just unite with me this one night. Just be with me this one night. If you only knew the sorrow of the separation that I'm about to have. And he's saying, just pray with me. Just keep watch and be with me. The verse goes on to say, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. I don't know about you, but if I had just poured out to my heart, to the group I was going to entrust everything to, and I came back and found them asleep, my spirit would be bothered. I can only imagine what Jesus was thinking in this moment, the emotions that he was feeling in this moment. Here he is about to go through the, the greatest tragedy and his, his, his guys are sleeping. His guys are there and he looks at them and says, couldn't you men keep watch for one hour? Here's Jesus in a, in a time shorter than this sermon, in a time shorter than you'll be here in his moment of greatest tragedy saying, could you not just pray one hour? Could you not be obedient with this one little thing? Then he's looking at Peter, the guy who just looked at him and said, I'll never deny you, I'll never leave you. And he's like, man, you said all these things, but here you are sleeping. It hasn't even been an hour. He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. I know you want to do this thing, but your flesh is weak. It goes on and two more times Jesus goes away and prays and come back and finds his disciples, finds Peter sleeping yet again. Two more times his disciples blow it. Two more times Peter says yes, but fails to follow through. As I was reading this, I was reminded of the parable of the two sons and many of you guys know it, but I want to read it to you. In Matthew 21, it says this. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And the son replies, I will not. He answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Which of the two sons are you? Are you the son like Peter who looks at Jesus, who looks at God and says, yes, I want to do these things. Yes, I want to follow you faithfully. Yes, God, I will follow you. But for some reason, you do not. Or are you the son who looks at God's eyes and you don't know what you're supposed to do and you don't know what this faith thing is and you don't know all the religious things, but for some reason you end up doing the thing that he asks you to do. I think oftentimes in our lives we find ourselves doing these two things. But more often as believers, I feel like we say yes like Peter, but for some reason we fail to follow through. Ecclesiastics 5 says this, when you make a vow to God, do not delay 
to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Peter's mouth has led him into sin. Our mouths lead us into sin. I love how Jesus sums this up and he says this in Matthew 5. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I think we as Christians feel like we're always obligated to say yes. Like Jesus would say yes. Jesus would come here and if someone asked me to serve, if someone asked me to be a part of something, like we as believers need to say yes. But when you read what he says, he's really saying, know in your heart what you're called to do, know in your heart what you're supposed to do and say no to everything else. We as believers need to learn how to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And tonight I just want to encourage us and challenge us and maybe convict a few of us. But if you've committed to serving, finish your commitment to serving. If you've said you want to serve in children's ministry, you want to serve on the parking lot team, you want to be a part of the student ministry, if you've given a vow to the church, if you've given a vow to your neighbor, fulfill the vow that you've given to God. There's some of you in this room tonight and you've made a commitment to the building campaign. You said, God, I believe in this thing you're doing here and it's not a commitment to me. It's not a commitment to Pastor Jason or 1910. It's you and God have made a decision that that you're gonna invest in what he is doing here. And if you've made the commitment, I wanna challenge you to be faithful with what you've promised to do. Maybe tonight you, you've made a commitment to your spouse, right? You've, you've said your wedding vows and in death do his part in sickness and in health for better or worse. Can I encourage you if you've made that vow to be faithful to your promise to your spouse? See, our words as believers matter to God. Who we are and what we say matters to God. We need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. See, our faith is about our actions, not our intentions. Our faith, our Christianity, who we are as believers has little to do with what we say and everything to do with what we do. Peter made an amazingly bold statement, but he failed to follow through. He failed and Jesus had to correct and Jesus had to restore because his words had let him down. What we do matters. How we live matters. Coming here on a Sunday is about revelation, not information. Coming here on a Sunday is about getting revelation in our hearts so that we can live differently. It's not about checking a box. It's not about feeling good. It's about, God, I want to get closer to you so I can be changed by you. James 1.22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Every day, you and I have opportunities to strengthen our spirit. Every day, you and I make thousands of little decisions that either feed the flesh or feed the spirit. See, the truth is, it's easy for us to truly rise in the morning and read our Bible. It's easy for us to put the living word of God inside of us. It's easy for us to open our iPhone, to turn on the radio, to do something to encounter God each and every day. It's easy for us to look at our spouse and to pray with them. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but couples that pray together for one minute a day have a 99% success rate in their relationship. The simplicity of praying with your spouse for, for one minute a day has an amazing impact. I can literally pray 365 minutes a year and guarantee that in 50 years, I'll still be married to my wife. It is so simple to do. Families that eat dinner together three times a week. Families that lead each other three times a week. It's amazing what happens to children. Drug rates go down. Premarital sex goes down. Grades go up. Education goes up. Self-identity goes up. These things that I'm talking about, they're easy to do. But the problem is they're easy not to do. That's what makes them so hard. It's easy for me to rise and read my Bible in the morning and it's easy for me to hit the snooze button and sleep a little bit more. It's easy for me to grab my family and rally together and pray for a minute before I leave and it's easy for me in the busyness of the day to say I love you and run out. It's even easier for me to go home and to get my dinner and to watch TV because I love eating food and watching TV. But I have to willingly make a decision. Is it worth the 30 minutes to invest in my family? Is it worth the 30 minutes as the the father, the head of the household to lead a child in the way they should go to create culture, to set an example? And so often we fail to realize that these little things matter so much. This morning as I was coming to church, I I was late. I know you guys think pastors live here. I was late coming to church and I was turning onto School Street by by Middle School North and I turn on and the most amazing thing happened. This elderly man in a Jeep Grand Cherokee was driving really slow. Maybe 20, maybe 20 is generous. I'm thinking it was more like 17. And here I am late, rushed to get here, wanting to pray, getting ready. Like, this is church. Doesn't this man know? Like, I'm about to bring the word of the Lord. And I'm sitting here, and in this moment, I had a choice. In this moment, I could use the power of the Holy Spirit in my vehicle to push him a little bit faster by speeding up and to nudge him along. And I could allow myself to get frustrated, and I could allow myself to get angry. Or I had a choice that I could sit back and learn the lesson of patience, or I could sit back and give him space. And as I began to sit back and pray that he would turn right onto Main Street and I could get to church quickly, I realized that it was a lesson that God was teaching me. And as he drove straight through Main Street, I quickly turned left and sped around him and made it onto the street before him. But it was a moment where I I could choose Am I going to allow my flesh and my weakness to get bitter and frustrated and stressed out? Or am I allowed the spirit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness to come through? Luke 16 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Tonight, I want you guys to hear that obedience with the little things prepares us to handle the heavenly things. Obedience in the little things prepares us to handle the heavenly things. If God cannot trust you to be faithful with your spouse, what can he trust you with? If God cannot trust you to be faithful in tithing and giving, why would he give you more? If God cannot trust me to be patient behind a little old man in Bernie, Texas, why would he bring me a greater burden? 
Each and every day, you and I have opportunities for our spirits to become stronger. Each day, you and I have opportunities to make these decisions because these little things equip us. These little things train us and these little things strengthen and empower us for the heavenly things that our Father wants to give us. When we look at Galatians 5, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. When you and I choose to walk by the Spirit, it says we will not gratify the flesh. It doesn't say you will gratify the flesh a little bit. It doesn't say it will rise up in you every now and again. No, no, no. It says when you and I choose to walk by the Spirit, we will not. We will find victory from the flesh. But it's the little things. It's being obedient with the simple things. That God says, pursue me, know me, and I'll take care of the big things. See, when we, need, we need to focus on what we want to become and not what we want to avoid. So often when I talk to students, so often when I talk to parents about things that are going on, they always come to me with their junk. They always come to me with their baggage. Oh my gosh, my, my temper is so big. I, I got in trouble again at school. I yelled again. I just keep looking at porn. I keep doing all these things. And I'm like, well, how's your relationship with God? I can't pursue God right now. There's all this bad stuff going on in my life. I have this and this and this and this. And we just have to pause and say, no, 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 push those things aside. What are you and God doing? So often I ask them, when was the last time you read your Bible? I don't know. When was the last time you prayed? I don't know. When was the last time you took notes in church? I don't know. They're not doing the good. And so the bad is rising up. We have to focus on what we want to become. We have to focus on the promises that God has. We can't focus on the things that entangle us. See, if we can say yes to reading our Bible, we can say no to the coarse joke at work. We can say no to gossip. If you and I have the obedience and the faithfulness to read the word of God on a daily, uh, daily time, if you and I have the obedience to do these things, when the temptation comes to speak, when the t- temptation comes to kind of say the off joke, we'll have the strength inside of us to say no. If you and I could learn to fast for God, if you and I could say, God, I'm going to go without, then when the temptation of an affair comes, when the words from someone come to you that you haven't been finding at home come, we'll be empowered to say no. So often I find myself fasting at Costco and it's the worst thing in the world. Here I am in fasting and all these amazing people have these tasty treats just waiting for me. And I walk through and there's fish and ham and melted cheese and little tasty sandwiches. And I'm like, Lord, out of the goodness of my heart, I must eat this lady's food. She will feel bad if I do not. I need, she is a good woman. I need to share the love of Jesus and accept what she has. But the truth is, is those little victories are the same as saying no to the affair. The truth is being obedient to my vow to God, Lord, I wanna fast for you. Lord, I wanna go without is the very thing that will strengthen me in my darkest time. See, if we can say yes to prayer in the morning, we can say no to sin in the evening. 
I had a student once in one of my small groups back when I was just starting out in ministry. And this young man came to me and I'll never forget the moment he, he finally opened up and revealed what was going on in his life. And he began to share in our group that he was habitually addicted to pornography. And he would look at porn six, seven, eight times a day, consistently every day. He couldn't do it. And here he was in seventh grade and he'd been doing it since fourth grade. And he was trapped in this addiction of pornography and everything inside of his flesh was saying, you need this, you need this, you need this. And I remember looking to his eyes and seeing the shame, seeing the brokenness, seeing the hopelessness in this young man's eyes. And we began this journey and all I remember telling him was like, man, just try to make it five minutes. The next time you wanna look at porn, just, just, just try to go five minutes. And I remember the day he finally came and said, I made it. I made it five minutes and there was a little bit of hope inside of him. And this went on back and forth and sometimes it'd be eight times in a day and sometimes it'd be four times a day and weeks went by and months went by and it finally got down to him looking at porn like once or twice a day. And I remember the moment where he came to me and says, I I didn't look at porn this week. And there was a new hope inside of him. There was a new birth inside of him. He was doing the good things. He was coming to a small group. He was going to service. He was searching the word of God. Every time the addiction rose up in him, I told him to pray a prayer, to do the good. And slowly but surely, he began to find his way out of the darkness. And I remember the time where he came and it had been a week and it had been two weeks. And then he fell back into it and it roared back up again. He was looking at it four or five, six times a day again. But he was faithful and he kept going. Last year, I was able to see him again. And it had been years since he had looked at pornography. And I was just reminded back of the time where he was hopeless and lost and the journey that God had pulled him off. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh. He began to walk by the Spirit. Temptation came, but then it left. The desire was in his flesh, but he began to battle it and overcome it. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, and I wanna encourage you guys with it. It says, for a righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. Where in your life have you fallen down? God is saying tonight's the night that you'll get back up. Where in your life do you look around and only see hopelessness? God is saying, no, I am the God of hope. Some of you see only sin and God is saying, no, begin to see me. See, tonight is a message of hope encouragement. Tonight is a message where some of you need to begin to try even more. You've tried to read your Bible faithfully, but it's been months and weeks and the dust is covering the top of it. And God is saying, no, 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 tonight's the night. I want you to go home and try. I don't care if it's only tonight and again next Sunday you try again, but begin to try to do the things that I've called you to do. Some of you tonight's tonight where you're going to begin to pray with your spouse faithfully and you're going to say, no, 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 I want us to begin to pray together one minute a day and you'll do it today and you'll do it tomorrow and then you'll forget, but the day will come where you will remember. When I first got saved, I felt like God was challenging me to roll out of bed every day and to fall on my knees and just to pray to him. And I remember rolling out of bed every morning before I said anything and I'd say, God, how can I make you smile today? Lord, I just want to serve you today. 
And I remember the first time that I actually made it out of my house without remembering that I was supposed to pray. And I got about a quarter mile down the street and I was all of a sudden convicted that I had failed to pray to my God and I had a decision to make. Do do I go home and I late? Do I go to work and not pray? Or do I just stop right where I'm at and be obedient? And I remember pulling over in my neighborhood and getting out upon my knees upon the asphalt and praying to God, God, how can I make you smile? See, our sin comes not if we, we forget, but our sin comes when he reminds us and we choose to do nothing. What would happen if, if we became a church that kept their word? What would happen if we as believers allowed our yes to be yes and our no to be no? How would our coworkers and our employees look at us if they knew that when we said we would do something, we'd be faithful to fulfill it? What would our kids think of us as fathers and mothers if when we promised them something, if we spoke to them about something, we became husbands and wives who lived it, mothers and fathers who did it? What if our word began to have value? How would our community be different if we said that we would help someone moved and fulfilled it? If we said that we cared for our neighbor and actually did it? What would happen if our yes truly did become yes? What would it look like if we as believers came here on a Sunday to encounter God and we actually lived it on a Monday because we were changed? What if we came here on a Sunday and actually said, I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to be at his feet. I want to learn his way. What if we came here on a Sunday hungry for his word, hungry for change and whatever we heard, we tried to apply the next day? What if each and every message, there was just one thing that we could do? How would our families, how would our communities be different? Tonight, I want to end with this one verse for you guys. And I hope it's a verse of encouragement for you from Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. It says this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do not get it to get a crown that will not last, but what they do is they get a crown that lasts forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Heavenly Father, tonight we come into this room, Lord, and I pray and ask that we would be people that run in such a way to receive the prize, God. Lord, I pray and ask that those of us in this room who have found ourselves beaten down by sin, beaten down by our flesh, Lord, would have the faith to try again. Lord, your word says that a righteous man gets back up again. God, I pray and ask that we would, that we would see that our words as, as believers, God, matter. That who we are matters to you, God. Lord, that the spirit may be weak, God, but you in us are greater than anything. Lord, I pray and ask that we would be a body of believers that actually came to church on a Sunday and began to live it on a Monday. In Jesus' name. Amen.